Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And while you're doing that, find and hold your place in Matthew chapter 1 as well. Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. We'll be camping out first in Luke chapter 1. This morning we are continuing our new Advent series, taking a a, a break from Nehemiah. We're going to dive back in and, and really dig in in the new year into Nehemiah, but this Advent series, we're, we're preparing our hearts this Christmas season, we're seeking to focus all of our attention and heart's affection on God's great gift to us, who is Jesus, getting to celebrate his Advent, his arrival into this world. And in part one of our Advent series, as we kicked things off last week, we looked at an important announcement and, and divine interruption, really, that happened in the time closely preceding the advent of Jesus, where there had been prophetic silence for over 400 years. But after all those years of silence, we saw that God sent his angel Gabriel with a message. Hold my calls. Um, With a message to an older couple named Zacharias and Elizabeth who had really devoted themselves to the Lord, but who had never been able to have children themselves, announcing to them that God was going to make it possible for them to have a son in their old age. That would have been really big news for them. Uh, You know, we, we know of people, you've known people who, you know, they have that surprise child maybe later in life, but You know, that rarely happens when a person is like in their 60s to 70s. You're like, oh, you're in your 40s and you've had, oh, hey, surprise, it's still, a child's a blessing, it's a gift from the Lord. But, you know, at some point, if you've never had a child, there's, you know, you're kind of like, well, that's just not, that wasn't what God had for us. And they get this news, they're going to have a son, a little boy, they're going to name him John, he was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, prophesied about in the Old Testament, a very important child who would have a very important role to play in going before the Messiah, preparing the hearts of the people for Messiah Jesus. That was John the Baptist. But now today in part two of our Advent series, we're going to be looking at two more divine interruptions that happened, two more announcements that were given, first to a a young woman, a virgin named Mary, and then to a man named Joseph. These announcements, these interruptions, preparing them for what God was about to do in having Mary conceive the Christ child by the power of the Holy Spirit. And just a reminder of some context, I shared this last week, but this is really important, especially if, if maybe for some of us we didn't have a Christian upbringing, maybe our foundation has not been super solid in sort of understanding the redemptive plan of God for humanity, when considering the advent, the coming of Jesus into this world, it's so important that we know, that we remember maybe for some of us, that the advent of Jesus was not ever God's plan B. It was not a whoops like, oh man, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't know people were going to sin. Now what am I going to do about this thing? 
God already knew. He knew before he created Adam and Eve that sin was going to come into the picture, that redemption, salvation was going to be needed. Something would have to be done about the sin problem that exists in the hearts of mankind, that we would need a Savior. And so Jesus was always plan A. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we see this when Adam and Eve sinned, and God pronounced the curse upon the serpent who deceived Eve. God speaking to the serpent, he said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is God's advent plan way back in the garden of Eden. Then moving forward from that point for several thousand years through the Old Testament scriptures, we begin to see prophetic mentions of the Messiah, the seed, who would come, who would bruise the serpent's head. Prophetic declarations, prophetic promises that for hundreds of years would become even more clear in the times of the prophets, but then seemingly even though really John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets, what seemed to be the last prophet, the prophet Malachi, the first Italian prophet in the Bible. Malachi, anyways. Not Italian, but it's all good. If you don't know how to pronounce biblical names, you could read that and go, Malachi, I like this guy. He's my people. But Malachi dying, this, this entered human history into the intertestamental period. It ushered in that 400 years of silence where God didn't speak to the people by use of a prophet. No revelation was being given for over 400 years until the Lord sent his angel Gabriel to a priest named Zacharias, as we saw last week. Again, this was a time of great spiritual famine and darkness. Days of oppression, days of moral corruption, days of governmental oppression and corruption. As we saw and considered with Herod the Great being the one who was ruling at this point in time, a murderous ruler. Many in the nation of Israel had turned away from the Lord, but this context is important as we are invited into this scene and brings us into this first uh, section of scripture we're going to look at this morning is God's now going to send his angel Gabriel again. Another silence-breaking, light-piercing through darkness sort of moment. This time Gabriel being sent to a woman named Mary to declare the coming of the long-awaited seed, the Messiah who would be the savior of the world. And so with that, let's read Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 26. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. This sixth month is in reference to Mary's relative Elizabeth's pregnancy, as we see in the preceding verses there in Luke chapter 1. As we closed with last week, Elizabeth had hid herself for the first five months of her pregnancy, that time when she wouldn't even been showing really, and along with the loose flowing garments, no one would have 
known that Elizabeth was even pregnant at that point in time. And now in the sixth month of her pregnancy, carrying John, the angel Gabriel makes a different visit. This time he's sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And Nazareth, if you're not familiar with with the, the nation of Israel, it's located 60 to 70 miles north of the city of Jerusalem. Something else about Nazareth, though, is that it was uh, known for being full of brothels and and known for being a very morally corrupt city. And this is where Gabriel shows up. I I love the whole, everything that we consider in in these Advent scriptures. It's like the, the least likely sort of thing that we would think God would work. The time in history under Herod the Great, after 400 years of silence, and we, we think about how we sent an angel to an older couple who couldn't have any kids, and we, then we think about this young woman, she's a virgin, and she's living in like one of the worst cities in all of the nation of Israel. It's, it's morally corrupt. He didn't send he, he, his angel to like the really nice area people are really good, everyone's really righteous and doing the right thing. No, he's like, let me pick the worst city. You know, it's like people that do fixer-upper, let me pick the the worst city in the best neighborhood. But he's like, let me pick the worst city with the best person in the city, the most righteous person in the city. Finding this young woman being sent to this virgin named Mary, the house of David, betrothed to a man named Joseph. And Luke makes sure to tell us twice, in just these two verses, that she is a virgin. We'll come back to Mary's virginity shortly, but to help us understand sort of the the Jewish culture of that day, the betrothal was actually the second step in the marriage process. We have two steps. I mean, I guess we kind of have three, right? But we have sort of the dating relationship, then you get engaged and you actually get married. Well, with them, the first step was engagement. And this was arranged by the fathers. Now, there's some shows out there, reality television shows where, you know, you see this still happening and arranged marriages happening. And it's, kind of, it's, a, it's a weird thing maybe for us from our Western mindset, but it's still very prevalent in the world today. So engagement. The second step, though, was the betrothal, where a ceremony of promise-making took place between the soon-to-be husband and wife, and it was so serious that in order to break the betrothal, a certificate of divorce would have to be written. But there still would be no physical intimacy. The couple weren't living together. They were still separated in that time. The, the physical intimacy part didn't happen until the third step in the marriage process, which would be about a year later after the bridegroom would go and, and build an addition onto his father's house for his bride. He'd get everything prepared. He'd come back for his bride at a time that she would not know. Trumpets would be blown in the city, and the bridegroom would come and take his bride back to their new home, and it's such a sweet picture in Scripture of the rapture of the church. And this is when they would consummate the marriage. But again, in our text, there's this double emphasis placed upon Mary's virginity 
that we have to take note of. This is a fulfillment of what God spoke through the prophet Isaiah about 700 years earlier. We find this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We'll put it on the screen. It says there, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We have to understand this because there are some in progressive Christianity and those that try to, to, to water down or make light of the authority of Scripture or the, 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 um, the literal nature of things in Scripture that would want to say, not really that important. Mary might not have been a virgin. Maybe she was. doesn't really matter that much. The point is like, you know, we've got this Savior and it's like, no, no, no. This was a necessity because if God said the, the virgin was con- going to conceive and bear a child and his name would be called Emmanuel, well then if God didn't do the thing that he said he was going to do, that means God is a liar. And he didn't make good on his word. If Mary was not a virgin, Jesus could not have been Israel's long-awaited Messiah who was God in human flesh. Emmanuel means literally God with us. God with us. Prophetically, Jesus had to be born of a virgin. These are crucial pieces of the Advent account that help set the stage for this announcement to Mary. And so with that, read verse 28 with me. It goes on to say, and having come in, the angel said to her, don't freak out. Everything's okay. Don't you think that'd be a better entrance for any of the angels showing up, materializing in your midst? Everything's okay. Very quiet, very, very calm. Everything's fine. No, it's like emphatic here. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Mary passes out on the floor. You know, we're thankful that Zacharias didn't, like, have a heart attack and fall down dead in the temple when he was about to burn the incense, right, when, the, when Gabriel shows up to him. No, it, this is a pretty powerful sort of greeting, very emphatic. There's a lot of excitement here. This angel is so excited about God's redemptive plan. He's so excited for Mary that she gets to be a part of what God is about to do why? Because Gabriel knew how special this was. You know, we think about the things that maybe we've waited for for a long time. We think about even from humanity's perspective, like from the point of Genesis chapter three, the the, the human longing to see the the serpent, the head of the serpent crushed. When is Satan going to be defeated? When is our sin going to be dealt with? But to think from the perspective of the angels living beyond time, the longing of the angelic beings for God to do something in our lives, to step in and to save us from our sin, that even the angels were longing for that to take place. And this excitement as Gabriel said, Rejoice! You're highly favored. Blessed are you. 
among women. The Lord is with you. I mean, the kinds of things. Mary doesn't know that that 400 years of silence had already been broken and Gabriel showing up to Zacharias. She doesn't know. This is completely new for her. The Lord is with me. I get to rejoice. There's something new that God's going to do. Like you can imagine how powerful this would be for Mary. Now, just as important it is as it is to get right that the virginity of Mary is a, is, is, is a crucial piece there in the reality of who Jesus was going to be, we, we got to have a right view of Mary at the same time because the church historically has not done a very good job at how we have viewed Mary. One extreme that we've often seen has been to honor and exalt her so much that, that she's given a place that the Bible does not give her, such as the Catholic Church's view of her perpetual virginity, of needing to pray to Mary, and of making her a co-redemptress with Christ. These are unbiblical views of Mary, but there's another extreme that's happened often within the Protestant church, which really is in response to the Catholic Church's view, which has been really to not honor her at all, which is also not biblical. We, we see from Gabriel's greeting that she was highly favored. That mean, the word favor meaning to be accepted. She was highly accepted by God and, and blessed among women. That was an honor that the Lord bestowed upon Mary that we would be wrong to take away from her. But, having said that, she did not stay a virgin after she gave birth to Jesus. Clearly, in the gospel accounts, Jesus had a handful of siblings that were children of her and Joseph. She did not stay a virgin. She cannot hear or answer our prayers she cannot mediate sorry, between us and Jesus, and she is not a co-redemptress. Yes, we should give her the same honor that Scripture does, but let's not add things that the Bible does not ever say, and let's not exalt her to a place that the Bible does not exalt her. We, we've got to understand here that the focus of Gabriel's announcement really is not Mary. Mary's a part of this. The focus is clearly going to be upon Jesus. And so that's where our focus is too. We don't look at this and we go away from this and we get our little Mary statue and put it on our dashboard and, you know, no, the focus is Jesus. Only Jesus alone is the mediator between God and man, right? Only Savior, only Redeemer. Look at verses 29 through 33. We continue to see Gabriel's announcement and Mary's reaction. Verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. 
Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary understandably was troubled as she saw the angel, heard his greeting, tried to figure out what was happening. But, but Gabriel's response to her was to not be afraid because she had found favor with God. Now, we're not given much insight <coughs> into Mary's character and conduct or her devotion to God prior to the angel Gabriel coming to her. But the things that follow in this chapter shed some light on the kind of young woman that Mary was. We find from verse 38 that she was humble, obedient, and full of faith. We find from verses 46 through 55 that Mary knew her God and was a worshiper of her God, which sounds exactly like the kind of person who, whom God is looking to use and who would find favor in His eyes. Now, in verse 31, Mary is told she's going to conceive, bring forth the Son, and very specifically, that He was to be named Jesus. And remember last week as we considered the importance of sort of the names oftentimes in Scripture that, that Zacharias and Elizabeth's names put together would mean the Lord remembers His oath, He remembers His promise. Here, the name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation, it's a very intentional name for God to name him because his name would also speak of what he was going to do, of who he would be, that he is salvation. Not that just he would provide salvation, like it'd be something he taught, tossed to us from afar, lobbing it from heaven. Here you go. Here's some salvation. Oh, you needed some salvation? Boo! Like he has this cool little like, Utility belt and salvation's one of the things. Grace is over here. Peace is over here. Joy's in the back. You need some of that. No, he is these things. The Bible says he himself is our peace, that God is love. He is salvation. So it's not just something he goes, let me, let me help you out. Let me toss you a little treat here. No, in having him, in gaining him, in receiving him, we gain all of that because it's who he is. So in Christ, we get all of that because that's who our God is. That's how he operates. Jehovah is salvation. Gabriel goes on to tell Mary about Jesus, that he will be great. He's going to be great. You know, we all think our kids are great. Like, he's great. My kid's just great. But Gabriel says he's going to be great. It's like, that's just off the charts. Like, this kid's going to be the greatest, literally. He'll be called the son of the highest. The Lord God would give him the throne of his father, David. He would reign over the house of Jacob forever, having a kingdom that will have no end these references that Gabriel makes clearly speak to the deity 
of Jesus, this baby who was to be born. To be the son of the highest, to be able to reign forever, to have a kingdom that has no end means that he must be God. He must be immortal and eternal. Check out what the Lord went on to speak through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9. We looked at chapter 7. Let's look at chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. We'll put that on the screen as well. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, notice, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, 700 years later, the zeal of the Lord of hosts is performing this very thing. Look, something miraculous, something completely divine is going to happen. Just as prophetically that Jesus had to be born of a virgin, prophetically he also had to be God in human flesh. And within those verses of Isaiah chapter 9, we see not only a reference to Jesus' first advent, his first coming in his incarnation, becoming flesh, but also to a reference to his second advent, his second coming when he'll come at the end of the tribulation period, setting up his millennial reign and then to reign in the new heaven and new earth for all eternity. This child was going to be the Messiah who would be given the throne of David. He was going to be truly great. No one would ever be greater, and he was going to be God in human flesh. And you can imagine this announcement would be a lot for Mary to take in all at once. But now look at verse 34, Mary's response here. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? You know, unlike when the angel announced to Zacharias that his wife in her old age was going to have a son, and Zacharias became mute for the rest of his wife's pregnancy because of his doubt, as we saw last week, Mary's response here, her question, was not from a place of doubt. The angel does not rebuke her or call her out for her question. This is really a question from a place of wonder and faith. Mary was in awe that this could happen, especially in light of her being a virgin. This was an honest and genuine question. But now, continuing on in verses 35 through 37, it says, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God, nothing will be impossible. 
Mary's conception was not going to happen naturally, but supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this child's supernatural birth was going to show that he is the Holy One, set apart from anyone else ever to be born, showing that he truly is the Son of God. See, Jesus had to be born immaculately in order for him to be born without sin so that he might live a perfect and sinless life in order that he might be the pure and spotless lamb of God the substitute for us upon the cross when he died in our place taking our sins upon himself and ultimately paying in full the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven and redeemed and reconciled and justified and saved by the perfect and powerful blood of Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 36, Gabriel breaks the news about Mary's relative Elizabeth's pregnancy, giving Mary some evidence to validate this promise. But look again at how he concludes that in verse 37. He said, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Whether in Elizabeth's life with being able to conceive in her old age in a state of infertility, or, or whether in Mary's life with being a virgin, God was showing and proving that with him, nothing will be impossible. God was going to make good on his promises. But, but something else for us to consider here in this part of the Advent announcement to Mary is that the impossible of a virgin conceiving supernaturally, life springing forth in her womb, became possible because of God, which would cause another impossible feat to become possible. And I'm referencing here how Jesus later on in his ministry when he was approached by a man who was referenced in one of the gospel accounts as a, as a rich, young ruler came to Jesus asking him, Rabbi, how can I have eternal life? And he asked them, and well, have you, you know, kept the commandments? Yeah, I've kept them all since my youth. Like, I'm, dude, I'm doing it. Like, I'm, 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 I've got it going on. And Jesus was like, Cool. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. Notice in that, if you look at that passage, he doesn't say, sell all you have, then you're going to gain eternal life. Like, that wasn't the thing. Following Jesus was where eternal life was going to lie for this man. But he went away sorrowful, and, it, and, and, and the disciples are, like, baffled. This guy looked like he had everything going for him. Like if anyone was going to have eternal life, it would be him. He's wealthy. He's obviously, because he's wealthy, he's blessed by God. Because that's the connection in their mind. He's blessed. He has the favor of the Lord. And he's doing all the right things. He's fulfilling all of the commandments that, you know. Jesus, they ask him, who, who then can be saved? Because Jesus says, well, it's harder for a 
a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I'm sorry, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because the riches of that person oftentimes is a, is a stumbling block to them, really humbling themselves and surrendering their lives to the Lord. Not that no rich people will get into heaven, but it's hard. Our stuff makes it hard to live a life of surrender and, and, and humility before Jesus. And, and so, Lord, who can be saved? And, and Jesus responds, look, with men, this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. Jesus, they are referencing the salvation of a human soul. It's impossible for you and me to save ourselves. We can't make it happen. But that thing that's impossible for you and for me in the physical realm is not impossible for our God. And it was because of the impossible becoming possible with Mary conceiving a child by the Spirit of God. Jesus, that the impossible of salvation became possible for you and for me. Man, praise God. Praise God that he's in the business of doing the impossible. And I want us to know this morning even that our God still loves to work in the realm of the impossible. That we would be drawn to his son. But this leads us to the final verse of our, our first announcement here we've been looking at. Verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, what a humble and faith-filled response. Mary just saw herself as a maidservant of the Lord, nothing more. She saw this as a way to serve her God, fulfill the calling that he had had upon her life. And, and this was not a light thing that Mary was accepting. You know, in faith, she believed the angel's message. She submitted to God's will. She was willing to put her reputation and honor and even her life on the line because being found pregnant before the marriage process in that culture in that day could have been a death sentence for Mary as others, including her betrothed husband Joseph, could have viewed her as an adulteress and brought her to the, 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 the city elders and stoned her to death. This wasn't a light thing like, cool, whatever. Make me pregnant then. Like this was a big deal. This, this brought something with it. A stigma for Mary. And that honor, shame culture that, that she could be found as someone that everyone would, would sort of push to the side. We don't want anything to do with her. She was willing to put herself on the line in that way in humility and say, God, whatever you want to do, you do it. Clearly, Mary's life was submitted fully to the Lord and His will. Such a great example for us. But there's one other announcement, one other divine interruption I want us to consider. This one a lot shorter. And that's with Joseph. And so you don't need to hold your place on Luke any longer. Tur turn over to Matthew chapter 1.
Let's read verses 18 through 21. Luke, I'm sorry, Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So we, we got the perspective of Advent from Mary, but now we're seeing it from the perspective of Joseph. Uh, Joseph, again, it was in this second step of the marriage process, the betrothal, when the power of the Spirit overshadowed Mary. She conceived the Christ child immaculately. But you can imagine how hard that would have been for Joseph to hear that she was pregnant. And probably hard to believe that it was a work of God and not because she had cheated on him, as Nacho Libre would say, that she was a flusi. You know, can you imagine having to say that to your betrothed husband? Like, I'm pregnant. It's not what you think. The Holy Spirit did it. It'd be hard. Joseph needed this dream. And in God's grace, he, he sent an angel to him in a dream. Joseph, I want you to know I'm in this. This really is from me. I'm doing this. Now, we don't know the timing of when this took place. If Joseph found out before Mary went to visit her relative Elizabeth for three months, or if it was after she returned from that trip, but as he thought about all of these things, an angel of the Lord appears to him, tells him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife, and announces that the life that was conceived in her truly was of the Holy Spirit. This baby, whose conception was miraculous, a divine act of God, whose gender was foretold, he was going to be a son, was also named by God, as we saw with Mary, Jesus, this boy's name, Jesus, and Joseph was given divine insight about what this baby would accomplish, that he would save his people from their sins. And, and I just think about this as Joseph is taking all this in, like, okay, so like, this is real, the Spirit of God really did this. She, she didn't cheat on me. Like, this is of the Lord. But to be confronted at the same time with the reality that this child who is going to be born to his betrothed wife, that he had no part in making happen, was going to be his Savior. This child is going to be the Savior to save his people from their sins. Well, that included Joseph. That included Mary. This, this wasn't going to be any child. This child was going to save his people from their sins. And Matthew then gives us some added insights in verses 22 through 25 as we continue reading. 
Verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This is a reference there to Isaiah 7. We already looked at that passage. Then Joseph, verse 24, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her intimately, speaking of, till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph from the family tree, the kingly line of David, who was considering divorcing Mary, not fathering a child who wasn't his by blood, needed this announcement from an angel in his dream in order to trust, again, that the Lord's hand was in this, that God had a plan and that God wanted to use him in that plan. See, Joseph becoming the adoptive father of Jesus meant that Jesus would not just be king of kings in his divine authority, but that he would also be brought by adoption by Joseph into the kingly line of David to be the rightful king of the nation of Israel. This child who would save his people from their sins is Emmanuel, God with us. And this announcement, this Divine interruption was enough for Joseph. By faith and in great humility, he woke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He was not intimate with his wife until after she had Jesus. And just as Joseph was told, he named him Jesus. See, Advent for Mary and Joseph would mean God working in the realm of the impossible and the unexpected, calling them into something greater than themselves, putting them in the position to face ridicule and great humiliation even, so that God's gift of salvation ultimately would be able to come through His Son Jesus, who would be born into their family. You know, clearly God was divinely interrupting all their plans. This was not how they saw things going. Like, cool, well, we got this betrothal thing happening. Joseph's probably working on that addition to the family home, like trying to get things ready. I'm excited. Can't wait with my bros. Come into the city. Trumpets will be blown. Get to have my wife. All of that's like down the tubes. Like none of that got to happen. All, you know, it's like anything that Joseph thought, whatever Mary thought, it's like, nope, not doing it. That's not how it's going to go. And yet what a powerful example they both are to us of how to handle the divine interruptions of God, to take God at his word, to hold our plans with open hands, yielded to him, and even as we'll see in Jesus' birth, to allow God to take us out of our comfort zones if that's what it takes to walk in his will, fulfilling his purposes. Because I don't know about you, but living a life of faith is not always a life of comfort. It's not a life where everything happens in our logical, rational sort. Well, you know, I've got my five-year plan. I've got my 10-year plan. I kind of know what I'm doing. It's like we, if we walked with the Lord long enough, we know we make plans oftentimes for God to break them. Not because he's cruel, but because oftentimes our plans are not his plans. 
God, here's my plan. Here's what I'm going to do. And God's like, but that's not, I've got something bigger that I want to do. And it, and it may not be comfortable. It might require suffering. It might require hardship. There might be trials. But I'm going to be with you. Because Emmanuel then still means Emmanuel now. God with us. I mean, what else could we need than God with us? Because him being with us means everything for you and for me still today. Amen? I'm going to have Lainey come back up. You know, what's truly amazing about these announcements is that God would choose to use people to be a part of his plan to bring lost people to salvation, into relationship with him. And he's just looking still today, just as he did with Mary, just as he did with Joseph, looking for humble, obedient, faithful, faith-filled, willing vessels that he could take and use for his kingdom and glory. And he can do it. Because with him, nothing will be impossible. And maybe that's a needed reminder for some today. You know, maybe you're facing impossible sorts of circumstances. Like, I don't know how this is going to get better. I don't know how this situation is going to be resolved. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. That our God is a God who loves to work in impossible sorts of circumstances doing impossible sorts of things and to keep our hope in him to not lose hope in these times but we also see in these announcements what kind of lengths God will go to 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 show us how much he loves us he's working all these things together in advance thousands of years in advance even way back in the garden speaking through prophets hundreds and hundreds of years in advance that our hope and our trust would be fully in him. And so this morning, you know, for, for us, you know, whether it's impossible circumstances, whether it's, you know, God wanting to grab a hold of our hope, our, our trust, and, and draw us into deeper places of faith in him, you know, know today that he is with us. He's with us. He's working. Even when we don't know what that thing is, even when we can't see him Working clearly, we can trust him because he's always been faithful. The things he says he'll do, he does. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we're thankful. Lord, for how you've interrupted the state of humanity. Lord, the course that we were on. Rebelling against you, Lord, on the road leading to destruction, Lord, you stepped in. You sent your Son to save us from our sins. Lord, not keeping us at arm's length, not just saying, well, you know, they got themselves into this mess, they're going to have to figure it out. But Lord, you didn't do that. Lord, you saw what we were going through, and Lord, in your great love, you provided a way through the way, the truth and life, Jesus. And Lord, for us today, God, 
that you remind us, you'd fill us with hope and strength and comfort and encouragement, knowing, Lord, that you're still with us, Lord. You will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, whether everything's going great or things are really hard, God, that you're with us, Lord, that you're working. God, maybe for some who are facing impossible sorts of circumstances, that God, you would show up, Lord, in their lives. Lord, that you'd make the impossible possible. And God, ultimately, that being seen most clearly in salvation happening in the state of a person's soul. Lord, that God, even though we can't save ourselves, Lord, you're able to do that. Lord, you, you specialize in that. Lord, you desire to do that, to save people from their sins. And so, Lord, even this morning as we've come together, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord, even now, you'd be opening their eyes to that reality of their own sinfulness, of their own need for a Savior. And if that's anybody this morning, and you're going, look, that's me. I, I need God to save me. I need my sins forgiven. I want the hope of salvation and eternal life. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you this morning. Would you raise your hand if that's anybody and you're going, look, I want to be saved. Lord, even though maybe none raise their hands here, maybe there are, are some even joining online or, or will listen later on and that, that, that's them. That Lord, that they in their hearts would just cry out to you. Lord, they'd humble the, themselves before you. Lord, that they would repent of their sin. They'd turn away from their sin, Lord, and turn to you by faith. Lord, those who come to you, you will never reject God, that in their hearts they would just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the only Savior. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness. Seal me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. And Lord, by your Spirit, help me to live for you encourage you. The Bible says if, if we'll believe in our heart, sorry, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus died for us and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so, Lord, this morning, Lord, make the impossible possible. Save people, Lord. And those who are in need of hope, Lord, those that are in need of you, Lord, breaking through the darkness of their circumstances, God, would you show up, Lord? Would you bring hope? Lord, would you because, Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace, Lord. You, you yourself are our peace, Lord. Would, would just your presence, Lord, bring the peace, Lord, that's needed by any this morning, God. Lord, we thank you. We, we continue to praise you and to worship, Lord, you because you're worthy. And so, God, we do that now through these songs of praise. In Jesus' name, amen.